0: Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for life and joy. Thank you for the opportunity to radiate it. We thank you for your word and the life and the joy, the truth and the power that is in it. We pray now that you would open your word to us, open our ears and our schedules And our pocketbooks and our lives to hear your word our relationships our bodies may we hear your word for this week speak lord your servants are listening amen we are on a continuation of a year of increasing trust we thank the speakers for their testimony to increasing trust from 20s to 60s and a life of increasing trust And I want us to think about, this is a little equation I came up with, but it's not actually, it's a pretty basic idea. R minus E equals H, which is just reality minus expectation equals happiness. Um, So people come to Tanzania and they say, people are so happy here. But what they're really thinking is, if I was in their situation, I would not be happy. How can they be at all happy? Um, Because our expectations are different from Tanzanians. So Nancy is rejoicing. Because she has had 20, well, let's see, 45 more years than she she thought she would. So she's rejoicing because her reality has way exceeded her expectation. Some of the rest of you are thinking you're not going to have any problems till you're 90. So if you have what Nancy has had, you'll be complaining the whole way. But her expectation has been different and she's received each day and each good day from God as a, as a blessing. So reality minus expectation equals happiness, or if the value is negative, you put it the brackets, you get unhappiness, because I was expecting more, so now I'm unhappy. Can of get the picture? Yeah. If you uh, expect life is going to have no problems, you're going to be unhappy. Somebody who I know, she's about to get married, and she said, I'm, I'm looking forward. Why not expect a perfect marriage? And I'm just going we gonna have a perfect marriage. We'll work at it. And I almost posted this little equation and said, "Do you want a perfect marriage? you want a happy marriage?" <laughs> my my marriage would have been happier if I would expected less, because um, I thought it was gonna be perfect too. It hasn't been perfect. It's been great. Um, so I got a question for you: What has been your biggest disappointment in life? the thing that you expected, but then it wasn't what you expected. Think about that for a minute. Now I want you to share with someone near you a disappointment. You may not want to share your biggest disappointment in life, because it might be them. So um, (laughs) or maybe not. but you might just want to share a disappointment like I expected this drink from Starbucks, but they gave me a different one. Something, you know, shareable. Um, So share with somebody next to you. Try not to share with the person you came with, you know, not not because it would be the disappointment or anything, but just, you know, to mix it up. Um, try, Try to share with, or you might want to lean forward or lean back, try to share with somebody near you something that didn't turn out like you expected. Okay. Thank you for all sharing your disappointments with each other and not with me. I hear enough of that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, most people most people don't come to me with their with their the the best thing that happened with my wife this week, or um, the best the best part of my life. I tend to, as a pastor, I tend to get to when things are not so good. So we had uh, we did have some good things this week, though. Noah is he here? Oh, he's back there. Okay, so, so... There he is. Oh, he's so short, I can't see him. Um, so, conference player of the year in basketball. And Joe Gross, is is he out? He's back with kids. Joe Gross's team won state in mock trial. So you guys are all welcome to share with me your happy news as well as your disappointments. Thank you for that. Um, they, their parents told on them, so I, that's how I do. But I did talk to them as well. Um, so good things happen. Sometimes we don't expect it, and sometimes things are better. They exceed our expectations. Sometimes things are not what we expected. So last time we were talking about, first we talked about the injustice of and the terrible situation that Israel was in, and... One of those things we need to check our expectations. Do we expect that God would let us have 400 years of slavery and oppression? Is that okay to expect? That's what happened to them. And then God called to bring justice and righteousness called Moses. We talked about that. Those are, by the way, pictures of slavery in Egypt, from Egypt at the time. A little background of that. And, and we looked at why Moses was so reluctant looked at his questions, his previous situation and, his, and the, where he was so confident and then the current situation that he was reluctant because it was a lot harder to do public justice at the structural level than to just beat up one Egyptian. Um, so we tend to take our expectations of what God's call is a little down so we can do it ourselves. Um, even doing it himself at the individual level didn't work And God called him to something else. So we asked the question last time. What is God's call to you? And do you have any questions? I hope that you've been stirring on that, thinking about that um, for the past week. What's God's call to me? And if you have any questions, I hope you've been taking them to God and saying, God, I want to know more. I I don't get this. I'm not sure. Um, Maybe even I, I don't know if I want to. God's pretty patient with those questions like he was for Moses. So we talked about some ways to find that. Go see, identify with the suffering. Cry out to Yahweh. He hears an acts. Ask him to clarify it. Obey and remember that Yahweh, I am, is with you. That's the real assurance that God has. So Moses did it. Moses finally gives in. He goes to Egypt. And if you'll pick up your Bibles in front of you or the one you brought with you or on your phone, I prefer not the phone because you might get into Facebook and your messages there, but, you know, your Bible's preferable because you can it's right there, you know. Uh, so, chapter 4, verse 21 of Exodus. Exodus is the second book. Moses and Aaron get back from Mount Sinai. They come back. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord Yahweh had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. They trusted God. They they said, and when they heard that the Lord knew about them, he was concerned about their suffering. He knew where they were at and had seen their misery. They bowed down and worshiped. They worshiped God. After all these years, all our suffering, God knows our situation. God is concerned, and God has sent a deliverer to take care of our situation. He has given Moses a message and a mission to change this. You know, God often creates the messenger first, and then the message, and then the ministry. He spent 80 years on Moses, getting that messenger ready, and then he gave him a message. Now he's beginning his ministry, and it starts out great. He wasn't sure how they'd take him, but they believed, they trusted, they worshipped. And he's like, yes. And now he goes with Aaron. It doesn't say the elders came. I don't know if they were supposed to, but we're not clear exactly why. So chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert." Pharaoh said, that'll be okay. You get a week's vacation. Um, just check in with, no, that's not what he said. He did not think that they were Yahweh's people. He did not think they had any vacation coming. He was enjoying all the economic benefits of this slave labor, And so Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh? I know Ra, I know Isis, I know, they had 90-some gods or something, dozens of gods, and I am one of them, Pharaoh would have said, I am the son of Ra, and I don't know who Yahweh is. Who is Yahweh that I, son of Ra, should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and I will not. Let Israel go. Ah, who is this God? I've never even heard of him. Some upstart slave God? <laughs> I am God around here. I'm not letting Israel go. Those are my people. And they will do my work. They will serve me. They will not go out to serve and worship whatever, whoever that is. Yahweh? Yeah. Whatever. Pharaoh asked this question, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? And this sets us up for the rest of the next chapters. Because Yahweh says, okay, you want to know who I am? Let me introduce myself. Um, Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to Yahweh, our God, for he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. Little warning, Pharaoh. He might strike us all with plagues or the sword if we don't do what Yahweh wants. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. Religion is okay as long as it doesn't get in the way of Economics and work, and money. Get back to work. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks, to hold them together so they don't fall apart, the mud bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so they can keep working and pay no attention to lies. So, the same word, when they cried out, God heard their cry. Pharaoh doesn't hear their cry. He says they're crying out just because they're lazy. Ever heard anybody say that? How about poor people? Yeah, they're just lazy. They'd have more if they just worked hard like me. Then the, pharaoh, then the slave drivers and the foremen. So there's from verse 9 to 21, there are seven times that it says serve. And the question here is who, who are you going to serve, right? You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody as... Bob Dylan would say. It may be Pharaoh or it may be Yahweh, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So actually, this isn't about freedom in the sense of God's going to bring independence. God promises freedom, but not independence. You're going to have to serve somebody, but Pharaoh is making his claim that these people are going to serve me. They're my people. Then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it. Your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foreman appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman (coughs) went and appealed to Pharaoh. They cried out, same word, To Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. This is why he keeps saying, let us go and sacrifice to Yahweh. Now get to work. So he says, go work. Go serve. The end of the story, he's going to say, go serve Yahweh. Just get out of here. But now, he says, go get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may Yahweh look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Pharaoh is a very effective dictator. He has given them clarity that you have no choice to even think about anything except what I want you to think about. And if you do, I'm going to divide and conquer. So he, he just puts on more pressure, and pretty soon they're just fighting between themselves, and the foreman are ups- the people are upset with the foreman and the foreman are upset with the people, and the people are upset. Everybody's upset with Moses. and it's not going well. So, whatever you heard your call at your workplace or your neighbors or in your family to bring justice and righteousness, whatever God's call to you is, you might think, that's easy. God's behind it. I get to go announce justice. Yahweh said he'd be with me. Moses and the people seem to have expectations that we're going to go in, we're going to say, hey, This is the deal. Yahweh said, we need to have some vacation, go have a festival, and it wasn't that easy. If you're going to pursue righteousness, you're going to pursue justice, it's going to take some persistence and perseverance and pushing through and keeping on because there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be some opposition. There's going to be some enemies that makes it Not so easy. Verse 22, what does Moses do? He returned to Yahweh and said, Lord, why have you brought, this is verse 22, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he's brought trouble upon his people and you have not rescued your people at all. Anybody ever had that experience? You thought you were going to do this, and it was going to be great. And God had given you something to do at your work, or at your in your marriage, or your parenting, or your church, and you, or the society, you were going to change things. God was with you. You went in, and you did what He said, and it got worse. Whoa! Wait a second. I thought we were rescuing people, and now they're pressed down harder. Anything ever happen like that? Any place where you're from? Following God sometimes makes it worse. And I don't know what kind of advertisement you got to come into the kingdom. It might have said, you're going to be healed from everything. You're going to have great stuff. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to have peace of mind and heart. And you're going to be happy all the time. Mm, not so much. Not necessarily. There's good things. There's joy. But Paul said something like, through many trials we must enter into the kingdom of God. And he also said something to Timothy about, anyone who wants to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And was that in your promise box? With the little scriptures? It's not usually in the, you know, here we're going to send this out on the internet and this is going to pop up. Today's scripture is, everyone will be persecuted. But it's a promise in the book is mine. Every promise. Yep. It's there. So now the Lord. Okay. Chapter six. You keeping up? Chapter six. Now the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of the country. God also said to Moses, I am Yahweh. Now notice that God is defining who he is. So, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai, but by my name, Yahweh, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I now have remembered my covenant. So let's be clear about this. It's some question about what, what do you mean you didn't make your name known? They never knew the name Yahweh, but when I read Genesis, this Yahweh thing keeps coming up, even sometimes when God is talking to Abraham. Um, is it just that that was put in when Moses wrote it? Just to be clear, or maybe more likely, it's that I didn't make myself known in my I am-ness, my I willness, like I'm going to for you now in this Exodus event. So remember what we said one translation, it could be I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or maybe I am who I will be. I am who I will be, or what I will do that you will see coming up here. In the next episode, you will see who I am. You will know who I am. Yeah, you you know, Pharaoh, you're not sure who I am? You will see I am because I will do this. And now he tells us what he will do. And notice he keeps saying, I am Yahweh. And then he keeps, he's telling us, So it starts with I am Yahweh, it ends with I am Yahweh, and in the middle, it also says the same thing. More than once. So let's, so, verse 6, 6, 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you or rescue you. Remember, Moses said you haven't rescued them at all. He says, I will rescue you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you, buy you back from your slavery. With an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of justice. I've asked a couple of youth to come up and help me out here. Um, this mighty act of justice, this hand of, God, he keeps talking about his hand of justice. And I just want you to notice, come on up front here. Um, I just want you to notice that, it, that the hand of justice has two sides. So would you just beat him up a little bit? Yeah, thanks. Okay. Um, Yeah, get on him. Okay, there we go. All right. So now the hand of justice, if I'm going to help him out and lift him up with my, I need to, first of all, give that hand, the back of the hand. Thank you, guys. Um, So God's hand of justice has two sides. He wants to distribute land. He wants to distribute good things t- to people who seek him. But in order to do that, sometimes he has to use the back of his hand to deal with the oppressors and the powers and the, those things that are holding down the people. So he can't bring the Israelites into Egypt until he deals with Egypt. Egypt until he deals with Pharaoh, he can't free them. So God stretches out his hand to lift up and deliver these slaves. But in the meantime, he kind of has to do the back of the hand thing to get to that. So he says, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of justice. Now, I That word can be translated different ways. I think it should be justice. It could be translated as distributive justice. In other words, giving, lifting, or retributive justice, as in punishment, judgment. Um, I think both are involved. Probably here it's more the distributive thing, but both have to be part of it. So he's going to free him out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and then he's going to bring him to Sinai, and there he's going to do this. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. When we get to 19, 3 to 6, he'll ask them this question. They'll make a covenant there. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. You Israelites will know that I am Yahweh and who I am. Your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They're going to see who he will be. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh, the Lord. So he's telling them who he is. Who is Yahweh? He gives them this, and it involves three different things. I will free you, rescue you, redeem you from Egypt. I will make you my people and I will be your God at Sinai. And then I will give you, distribute to you, the land that I promised. So those three things are involved in what God promises he will do and how he will show who he is, who Yahweh is. Notice all the I will, I will, I will, I will. That's part of I am who I will be, what I will do. So Moses reported this to the Israelites but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. So they're not getting too much of the increasing trust here because they're just discouraged. It's interesting how everybody talks about the Israelites but they don't actually talk. They're just silent. They're just they they're so crushed they can't even say anything in this passage. The foreman talk Pharaoh talks, God talks, but they are discouraged. Are you discouraged? Is there something that's really got you discouraged? Cruel? Bondage? God's got a promise for you. But maybe you're saying, yeah, yeah, I heard that promise, but nothing's changed fact it's gotten worse can you still trust that I am that I will do what I promised? I will be who I am that Yahweh is enough even in your tough bondage opposition difficult place Then Yahweh said to Moses, verse 10, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to Yahweh, If the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips, uncircumcised lips. Moses is discouraged too. He just got this great message from Yahweh, but he's like, you know, even my own people don't listen to me. Why is Pharaoh going to listen to me? He sure didn't listen last time. Have you ever been discouraged as you tried to help someone? Bring some righteousness, justice, relief, freedom, rescue? And it didn't work out? You said, God's going to rescue you? And it didn't seem like he did? And they said, yeah, right. Tried that. Now we have a list plopped in here, our genealogy. Got to love those genealogies, right? What's it there for? Well, it seems like it's there to tell us that this is part of the promise, that this, here's who Moses was and especially who Aaron was. And Aaron's right in the middle, his, who his high priest son is going to be. It establishes credentials for, a little CV here for Aaron especially, and also for Moses. And verse 26 It was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Like an army, huh? They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. It's establishing their credentials in this covenant family as members of the house of Levi, which will be the priestly house. Verse 28. Now when Yahweh spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am Yahweh. It keeps coming up somehow. I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and again, every time it's L-O-R-D in capitals, it's Yahweh. It's the name of God. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then Yahweh said to Moses, chapter 7, verse 1, see, I have made you God to Pharaoh. I've made you like God, but it actually says I've made you God to Pharaoh. You are my representative. You are the image of God. Remember that from Genesis? You're the image of God to Pharaoh. Remember it from Jesus, the Deliverer, coming as the image of God to Pharaoh. Remember as us, sometimes as Jesus' body, we are what people see of God out there. What what does it look like? What does Jesus' body look like it's doing and saying out there. To Pharaoh, you are God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, my fist And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had commanded them, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron, 83, when they spoke to Pharaoh. So who here is above 80? Nobody? Nobody? Above 80 here? Okay, we got a few people above 80. They're they're kind of, you know, trying to hide their age. But uh, God might have something new for you. And if you're under that, God might have something new for you too. So if you retired, that means God's probably got something new for you. Right? Let me just read a little bit more here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle... Then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as Yahweh commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as Yahweh had said. So this is the beginning of Notice that all this time God's been talking. As far as Pharaoh's concerned, he hasn't seen anything. Just this proclaiming God's word. Now there starts to be some action. And he doesn't get it. Now, the snake, you know, remember Pharaoh, if you've seen King Tut's, there's a cobra on Pharaoh's crown. This is a symbol of death and life and healing in other words, control, that Pharaoh has that kind of control. So, this is, you think you got snakes under control? Watch this. Now, the magicians, the diviners, the traditional healers, whatever they were, they managed, I don't know if it was trickery or satanic or what happened, but they managed to come up with their own sticks. But this stick, this serpent, ate up all the other ones. Should have been a clue. But Pharaoh wasn't taking any clues. He was not listening to who had power and control. But we're going to see next time when Pastor Ben preaches to us in the plagues about sometimes when we just talk, you can talk and, and my way of talking sounds just as good as his way of talking. Sometimes it ends up as a power confrontation, a war, to see who's re- sometimes might makes right, it seems, when it comes to spiritual warfare but I want you also to notice how Moses does spiritual warfare. He comes in with a stick and a sidekick, and he says, Yahweh says, let my people go. He doesn't come in with tanks, cruise missiles, or even a machine gun, or even big muscles. He just comes with himself. I want you to notice that kind of approach of weakness that makes God look strong. When Jesus comes, he walks into the temple, he kicks over some chairs. He doesn't have like a gang of hooligans with him. He just comes in and confronts all the power there and says, nope, that's not my father's way. And they're like, "Who? what authority do you have to come in here and do all this stuff? Jesus comes in weakness, not in all the strength he has. Moses comes in weakness, but says God is the creator, the powerful one. Okay, let's look at a little bit of, look at this stuff a little bit more. Um, Reality and expectation equals unhappiness. So we have to be real that life is suffering until death. Life is difficult, M. Scott Peck said, and then you die. It's a great truth," he said. "Life is difficult. A little bit of realism helps. Um, we're not real great at realism in America, or sometimes American Christianity about how life can actually be pretty difficult. Um, but is there hope in the midst of everything? And you see, they were crushed, but then Moses brought them hope. He raised their expectations. And said God cares." God knows. God's going to do something. So their expectations went up, and then reality went down. And suddenly they were more discouraged than they'd been before because of being brought hope. And there is opposition from the enemies. I want to re- reprise this question from Pharaoh. Is that so retorted, Pharaoh? And who is Yahweh? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh, and I will not... Let Israel go. So this is answered. God says, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you, Israelites, will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. When you see what I do, you will know who I am. He says the same to the Egyptians and, in fact, to everyone around. Jethro later is going to talk about it. All of the nations. Remember, he was intending to bless the nations I will rescue my people from the land of Egypt with great acts of justice. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. Now, a justice bringer. What is the task of a justice bringer? God is a justice bringer. And he also calls other people to participate with him in the task. One of the first things is to proclaim. God is proclaiming his word. And he tells Moses, proclaim my word. Go and say, let my people go. This is what you're supposed to do. This is who Yahweh is. Tell it. Proclaim it. Evangelism, preaching, ethics on the job, whatever ways you can proclaim, you know, God really wants to take care of this pregnancy, whatever it is. Proclaim God's word. And then there's also mighty acts of justice. We see Jesus doing the same right? Jesus comes and he proclaims, he preaches, he teaches about the kingdom of God. And then he does some mighty acts of justice and says, if this is the finger of God, in order to produce a just society, a kingdom of God. So these proclamations and these acts are leading to the Israelites becoming my people my nation that I'm going to make you, Abram, a nation that's going to bless all nations. And Jesus comes, and what's his message? The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new society breaking into this world society, a different kind of society that's going to change society. And so those three things are really important. We're going to see the law tells you what kind of a just society it's going to be, we'll see this creation, but it starts with declaring God's word and God's actions. Um, a couple of examples here of this. Um, some of the rest of you may have also been reading up on Billy Graham since he just died and some of the things he did. His proclamation of the word of God has made a difference in the world, in America. His proclamation, this is what God says, you can be saved. That made a difference. He was also a friend with Martin Luther King. Now, actually, one of the actions he did way back, early 50s, he had Martin Luther King pray at one of his, of his uh, back when Martin Luther King wasn't so somebody and definitely wasn't so welcome. Um, he also had him come speak to his staff. Martin Luther King said, Billy Graham's friendship has been a very big help. Um, now Billy Graham, and he also, he's a Southern boy, so he thought this was normal, but maybe his anthropology degree at Wheaton, I don't know, somehow he got noticing society was different and should be, there were some problems. And so when there was crusades, he a few times went down and took down the ropes between the black side and the white side and said, no, we're not doing that here. You do that every place else, but not in my crusade. And so he made a difference. At the same time, he didn't go to the Washington March. He didn't do some things that later he kind of regretted, it seems like. Which, you know, people are talking about he could have done more, and he kind of wished he had done more. But he was an important ally, and they were doing, approaching, bringing justice, bringing righteousness in different ways, bringing righteousness with God and righteousness in the church and righteousness in society. Um, and Lausanne, the conference that he called together, a conference on world evangelism, brought everybody from around the world to Lausanne, Switzerland. And the big question in the early 70s was, is it evangelism we should do, or is it social justice we should do? And he and the people there had this big discussion, and they said, yes, we're supposed to do evangelism, we're supposed to do social justice, and this whole question of which first and how much, and can we just, yeah, we're supposed to do those things. We're supposed to make a difference in society through evangelism and social justice. And he brought the whole world together on that, was very important. And that Lausanne thing has been ongoing uniting of evangelicals around the world, around some great stuff. Um, and I, I wanted to mention a, uh, one other piece. This is the Christianity Today report on it, but this is actually reporting on the top political science journal and an amazing piece of research that Woodbury did that said where, it's, the title of the thing in this top political science journal is, The Missionary Roots of Liberal Democracy. So this like blew everybody away because most people in academia see missionaries as kind of like, you know, a wood Bible, kind of those hicks who are, you know, colonialists and... What he showed was in very amazing research, and he had to keep proving it in order to even get in the journal, was that every place that missionaries went, conversionary Protestants, not paid by the government, they went places, those places are more liberal democracy, they have more democracy, they have more polit- civil society, they have more stuff now than other places. So people are always asking, why is one place versus another? So French Congo versus Belgian Congo. French Congo, things were just as bad as Belgian Congo, but the French did not let any missionaries in, any Protestant missionaries. Belgian Congo missionaries came in and took pictures of all the atrocities happening and people cutting off hands because they weren't bringing enough rubber, and they took those pictures around America, and it made a difference. There's a lot of stuff that happened. Actually, he's done it on a global scale to say there's more in India. Even if India didn't become Christian, the Hindus had to respond to the Christians, printing all these printing presses and doing all this stuff and starting all these groups by starting groups and printing presses and getting people a voice. And, well, the untouchables, they're okay, actually, because otherwise they're all going to become Christians. So more has happened because of simple old little missionaries who didn't necessarily know what they were doing um, to change societies around the world. So there is something that can happen even when it seems like nothing is happening. Even when it seems like nothing is happening, God is at work. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the problems of evil. Because that's part of what we're dealing with. Why do things, why are things so bad and why do they get worse? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to do this quick. God is all-loving, all-powerful. Evil exists. So people say "That's that's not possible. That's logically impossible. And there's also a pain problem that needs a solution. There's also a problem of why is evil. we could talk about that another time. I have another time. But I want you to give two answers to that. One is there are enemies. It's not just that God is pulling all the strings. He also has enemies. The enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Myself, my sin, I'm like Pharaoh. Who is Yahweh to tell me what I'm supposed to do? I want to do what I want to do. And if I can get other people to do what I want to do and do what I want them to do, that's what I'm going to do. And we got all those people doing that. It gets to be a real mess. And then they get together in society and they make it an even bigger mess. And it becomes our group making your group do what we want you to do. And there's also demonic, satanic powers behind it. Pharaoh represents all of this. He is demonic, satanic so there, you could, how come there's no demons in the Old Testament? Well, there's all these gods and idols. That's what they call them in the Old Testament. And it's all combined together. It's also a political economic system that Pharaoh's the head of. It's a whole, the world, the society bent against this. So the other piece of answering that question is, all powerful, all loving, but evil exists. The other thing is to say, I will. I will. God is all powerful and all everything therefore he says I will change this. I will bring justice. I am going to make it different. Yes. You're going to die Nancy sooner or later is dying. But he said I am the resurrection and the life. I will bring you to be with me. So there is good stuff. I am, I will as we said rescue from slavery take you as my people, give you the promised land. You know, and this is not just Old Testament, it's New Testament too. The deliverer came, Jesus came, said the kingdom of God is at hand. And everyone, great! So, that's cool. Like the blind guy seeing Lazarus. That's, wow. But, the Romans, what about them? What about, All this oppression. Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. The powers were going to reject him. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. Remember the disciples saying, we had hoped. Like the Israelites, we had hoped. He was the deliverer, but now he's dead. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. No, 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 it's all good. It's all glory. It's all, we're going to be king. We're, we're on the winning side. We're going to be the head, not the tail. Did you read? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get away from me. That's actually a satanic message that we should expect all good. Then calling the crowd to join him, his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. What? Give up my own way? But I thought this was all about my own way. I thought God was just gonna help me get my way. Oh no, actually, He's the way. And I have to follow. And His way leads to a cross. Oh no, oh no, I was thinking the, the, the crown and the thorn, you know, the, the throne that I was gonna sit next to. The cross. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. Sooner or later, you're going to have to give it up. You might as well give it up for good reason. John 16, Jesus said, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, and you'll be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. I've told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Is that in your promise box? Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In John, the world is that system, the the system that's set up against in opposition to God's kingdom. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world, but like in a couple hours, he's going to be hanging on the cross. Where, how, what do you mean you overcome the world? In fact, Colossians 2.15 says, On the cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities. On the cross, he defeated them. You see, we are in the already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is at hand. You see me casting out demons. The kingdom of God is here. But then he says, pray, your kingdom come. Well, I thought it was here. Why are we praying for it to come? Because it's already here, but it's not yet here. The deliverer has come already. Jesus has come. But the deliverance has not fully come yet. So we're in that in-between. When the deliverer has come, like Moses, and said, you're going to be free Ted to the power, stop that. And then maybe it got worse. But it's not getting worse forever. So let's go to <clears throat> communion where we celebrate the Deliverer coming and conquering, defeating the powers on the cross, naked, bloody, weak he defeated the powers so there were a lot of passages we read about the bread today but let's read one more for i received from the lord first corinthians says what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat together In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise, the new agreement in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, that he has delivered us. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes to deliver us. The deliverer will come again. It will be complete I am has said, I will deliver you. I am delivering you. Let's drink the cup together. Father, thank you for sending your Son to deliver us from our sin, from our bondage, from our oppression by the powers, by our selfishness, by the demonic forces by the institutions of oppression and the worldviews and cultures that push down from the spiritual, physical, economic, and all things that crush people. Thank you that you have sent your Deliverer, Jesus Christ, to create the kingdom of God, that we are part of that kingdom of God, that we have been delivered and redeemed and set free and given life. And that we will be delivered and set free and given life. Now I pray that you would bring justice and righteousness in our lives. Individually, together as a church, and around us in our society and in the nations. Only you can do that. And only you know how you're going to do that. But fulfill your promise and do it pray in Jesus' name. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the name of Yahweh, go out, bring justice and righteousness, live justly and righteously in this week. Amen.